I'm sure many of us here uh, noticed this morning that something very important was missing from the gospel story, and that would be Jesus himself. Here we are Easter morning to celebrate the risen Christ, and he's not even in the story. It's not just that his body was missing from the tomb. He doesn't show up at all in this first part the way that Luke tells it. When our story ends, Jesus himself hasn't even been seen, dead or alive. The first scene of this great drama of Easter, as told by Luke, and Jesus is still missing. The way Luke tells it, actually, Jesus doesn't show up until the next scene, and that's like way on the outskirts of town. And I think Luke's version is appropriate for many of us that are here today. We've heard about Jesus, maybe even seen some things that made us curious, but we have yet to actually experience Jesus face-to-face or heart-to-heart. At the same time, I'm sure there are many of us here this morning who have experienced Jesus before, but it's been a while. And Jesus doesn't seem to show up in the same places where we used to be able to count on him showing up. And now that we're thinking about it, man, it's been a long time since we've actually had a really significant experience, a meaningful encounter with Christ. In our own lives, as in this story told by Luke, the risen Christ is missing. The good news from Luke's story is that we do get some advice on where we might find the risen Christ. Technically, we actually aren't told where to look. We're told where not to look. In verse 5, that's sort of the dominant question for the women who show up at the beginning of this. Um, Why do you look for the living among the dead? Jesus isn't dead. He's not in the tomb, and he's not going to be there at least anytime soon. And that's why I love Peter's response, right? I love Peter's response to what he hears from Mary, Joanna, and the others. They tell Peter what happened. I'm sure they told them, Peter and the the others as well, that the angel said, why are you looking for him among the dead? And what does Peter do? He goes right to the tomb and he looks for Jesus among the dead. The wonderful thing for us is we never have to worry about looking stupid as disciples because Peter's already beat us to it. (laughs) Like we see here this morning, Jesus isn't among the dead. He's not in the tomb. Peter isn't going to find him there. So if Jesus is not there among the dead, the inference is that He must be among the living. And the truth is, this has always been the case with the God we believe in. We heard that in our Hebrew First Testament reading from Jeremiah. Jeremiah goes on and on about, don't get caught up in in other people's gods. They're just idols that are made out of wood and they aren't alive. But God, our God, is the real thing, the living God. God has always been experienced in the midst of all of life among the living. 
And as we hear from John in the Greek New Testament, through Christ's spirit, the risen Christ can be experienced in our lives, even within us, even internally. Again, in this one, it's all about the experience of God as love. Since love comes from God, everyone who loves is born of God and experiences a relationship with God. The person who refuses to love doesn't know the first thing about God because God is love. And I love the part later when he says, God's love is made perfect in us when we love others. My dear, dear friends, if God loved us like this, we certainly ought to love one another in the same way. No one has ever seen God, but if we love one another, love becomes complete in us. And this is how we know we are living deeply in him, in him, and he in us the living Christ in us. He's given us the spirit, his very own spirit for our lives. To experience the risen Christ, we look for life among the living and among ourselves. Wherever we experience that spark of life, the risen Christ is there. John Steinbeck has this beautiful meditation on on this idea in uh, The Grapes of Wrath. The eldest son of the Jode family, Tom, knows that he's going to have to leave his family for good. He doesn't want to bring trouble for them. His mom is saddened to think that uh, she might never see him again. So she worries aloud, how am I going to know about you? They might kill you and, and I wouldn't know. They might hurt you. How am I going to know? And Tom replies with this idea that he got from a former preacher named Jim Casey. Um, And Casey has a lot of ideas about the Holy Spirit and about love and about how it ties us all together. And so Tom says to his mother, well, maybe like Casey says, a fella ain't got a soul of his own, but only a piece of a big one. And then, then it don't matter. Then I'll be around in the dark. I'll be everywhere, wherever you look. Wherever there's a fight so hungry people can eat, I'll be there. If Casey knew why I'll be in the way guys yell when they're mad. And I'll be in the way kids laugh when they're hungry and they know supper's ready. And when our folks eat the stuff they raise and live in the houses they build, I'll be there. What was merely speculation for Tom is true for us with Christ. Wherever there is life, true life with goodness and beauty and justice and joy, wherever there is life, that's where Christ is. From that first joyful breath of life in a newborn to the last poignant breath of life in an elderly saint. That's where we experience Christ face to face, spirit to spirit. We also need to be aware that where we meet Christ will likely be in places radically unexpected. 
In this morning's story, even though Jesus had told his disciples over and over and over again that he would be killed and he would be buried, and on the third day he would rise again, he told them over and over, and still they are shocked. The, the angels even respond, reply to the women who first come, He's not here. Remember how he told you while he was still with you in Galilee, the son of man must be delivered into the hands of sinful men and women, be crucified, and on the third day be raised again. Then they remembered his words. Then they remembered. Daryl Bach has an interesting comment here about when we hear from God things like this. When God speaks, we must listen not according to the categories we're used to, but with hearts that recognize who is speaking the promise. Further, for the male followers of Jesus, they couldn't conceive that women, women would hear from God first. In verses 9 through 11, we hear that when the women came back from the tomb, they told all these things to the 11 and to all the others. It was, and I love the fact that the women are named, which was a very unusual thing. It was Mary Magdalene, Joanna, Mary, the mother of James, and the others with them who told the apostles. But they did not believe the women because their words seemed to them like nonsense. Like I was t- saying to the kids, their, their words seemed, it's a medical term, seemed like they were feverish, that they were delusional. Again, uh, Daryl Bach has a, a good comment here. Despite the numerous female witnesses, their story is not viewed as credible by the male disciples. Not only is it hard to accept, but culturally, such a story from women would have been viewed with suspicion. One can only wonder what the women felt as they shared their story, but the Bible is real as it tells its story. The doubt of the male disciples is set forth with crystal clarity. Their slowness to believe is not exemplary, but it is instructive. Resurrection is a doctrine that is hard to believe. For that reason, the Spirit needs to work in hearts as the gospel is shared, especially male hearts particularly. We need to open ourselves to radically unexpected the radically unexpected in order to experience Christ in life. A recent example of this. A little over a week ago, uh, Tyrone Beeson wrote a beautiful column in the Seattle Times about a program called Choose 180. Choose 180 is a community-based diversionary program for young adults, uh, for youth who are um, charged with crimes to try to keep them out of the juvenile detention system. The idea is that each person is supported, with, uh, is, is surrounded by support and given opportunities to make different decisions, uh, different choices with their lives than they might otherwise make. They're treated as human beings of worth and value. They're treated as individuals who need help and support. At one point in the column, uh, Beeson interviews city attorney Pete Holmes. Since 2017, 
245 young adult offenders who faced charges in the city attorney office, 245 have gone through this Choose 180 program. Out of 245, eight, only eight, 3%, have had criminal convictions since going through the program. Holmes is quoted in this article as saying, when he saw those numbers, you could have knocked me over with a feather. He had expectations that it would be good, a good program, but he had no idea it would be this good. It didn't surprise me that this program was started by a pastor. Restorative justice instead of retributive justice is one of those radically unexpected ways that the risen Christ is at work in life, to bring life. If we want to experience the risen Christ, we also need to attend to that spark of life in our own lives. A good friend of mine uh, is a fantastic craftsman. He loves to build things uh, and is, is very good at it, takes great pride in his work. In fact, he and his brother went into business and they used to get in fights because the, the craftsman wanted to make sure everything was perfect. He'd be on the inside of closets, sanding down the molding on the inside of closets, and his brother would be saying, what are you doing? Nobody's ever going to see that. We need to you know, get going. And he's like, no, I know that it's there. Took great pride in, in what he was doing. And years ago, he told me that often when he was working alone, he would have this sense of someone looking over his shoulder and admiring his work. It wasn't a creepy thing. He didn't, he didn't get wigged out by it. In fact, he said it was, it was really kind of this peaceful feeling that he would get, he would get and, and an affirming feeling. He was not a Christian at the time. He didn't grow up in the church, going to church uh, with his family. He uh, didn't go to church at the time, but he said he started paying attention to that presence. And after a while, the only thing he could surmise was that it was Christ with him. And then as one carpenter, carpenter to another, he was admiring the work he was doing. In a way that he couldn't even fully explain and that he never would have expected Christ was alive and present with him. Jesus isn't in the tomb. Jesus isn't among the dead. If we want to experience the risen Christ, we look for him in the midst of life. We expect him to show up in radically unexpected places and ways. We pay attention to that spark of life wherever we encounter it. We look among the living. Amen.